This podcast contains content that may be offensive or traumatic to some listeners and is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Audience discretion is advised. A man in his late 20s has been reported the missing. Scouring bushland in the Yarra Has Ranger. been missing, feared, murdered for almost like a year. Like these eight people who are now the focus of the Police say she has been missing. This is The Missing Files. This is The Missing Files. Guilty or not guilty, it's still a, still not a great mate. A true mate wouldn't have done that. I know he's been murdered. I just fucking know he has. You reckon that there was a physical altercation there? Is that what Lucas implied? Yes. It's been more than three years since Jaden Penno Tomset was last seen alive just outside of Charters Towers. He was travelling to Cairns from Newcastle for a New Year's Eve party in 2017 with his mate Lucas Tattersall. Welcome to The Missing Files. I'm Adam Drummond. In our previous episodes, Examining the case of Jaden Penno Thompson, we've looked at Jaden's early life and some of the events leading up to his mysterious disappearance. In episode four, with the coronial inquest into Jaden due to start next week in Cairns, one of the key witnesses in the case breaks his silence, and we have a more forensic look at the events of the night of Jaden's disappearance. Tim Westacott is Jaden's first cousin and close mate. You heard his voice at the outset. He was one of a group of Newcastle mates Jaden and his travelling partner Lucas Tattersall were meeting in Cairns on New Year's Eve 2017. In his first ever public comments on the matter, Tim confirms the pair were carrying drugs for the group. Speaking with the Missing Files investigative journalist Dan Johns, Tim also makes two more startling claims that Lucas attempted to sell his car while in Cairns, and that the dispute over drugs that sparked the split between Jaden and Lucas may have been a violent one. At 5.46am on the 30th, I received a text message saying he had no reception and he was going to have a little nap. He previously told me, he had told me that he'd previously been stuck at a service station and that he was waiting for them to waiting for them to open up so we could get fuel. Okay. So by what I'm what I'm thinking is they they've been stuck. They've been stuck in the middle of nowhere and they've been waiting for um they've been waiting at a service station. And it must have been early hours in the morning the service station hadn't been open. And couldn't pay for the fuel or get the fuel. So that's uh, so that was at five forty six and then ten forty two AM the same day on the 30th yep. he said he was five six hours away okay i have a message from them so then prior so from then from the 30th of december um 9 15 p.m i received received a text saying it was Jaden and the radiator hose on on the car had broken yeah and, and then he just <laughs> and then he just still went another one off another car yep okay so uh, i think he was uh, Reading from the messages, he was definitely stressed. He was um, 
you know, I think it was becoming a bit much because he'd been waiting there for the fuel, you know. He's, um, they probably hadn't slept as much as what they intended. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, of course. And then, so I think he was in a bit of a distress by then, for sure. Um, and what was his yeah. pattern, mate, when, he, when, he, when he'd had a bit uh, and he might be a bit um, sort of scattered or strung out? Uh, and if he if he was worked up because of a, a blue with Lucas or because of a um, you know just a situation beyond his, beyond his control, what would he normally do? You knew him well. Yeah, see, I, I can I can see. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't got Lucas's statement in front of me, but mm. what I've previously been told by Lucas up in Cairns that he had a fight with Jaden and Jaden had taken off. Uh, it was a fight over drugs apparently this is all i don't know this is just what lucas has been told telling me um what what was the nature this is really critical obviously what was the nature of the fight over drugs i mean what were they what were they arguing about uh i think Jaden had lost his drugs yep and they were were lucas's drugs as well or he was accusing lucas of taking them or accusing lucas for taking them gotcha yep okay yeah so to answer your question yeah you know he, he did have a bit of temperamental I think that's why I was so worried about him mm. when previously, when I found out that he was, that, that they had been taking drugs to drive up there. Yeah. So I knew, I knew, I didn't know Lucas's, um, I didn't know Lucas at all, but. Okay. Yeah. Um, I could definitely see Jaden. <laughs> so, so if he was in a really heightened emotional state and he thinks someone's flogged his drugs and he's a bit strung out. What 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 would he do? I mean, would he get violent? Would he storm off? What, what would his pattern usually be? Uh, he'd get very flustered. Yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine him ripping apart everything. Yep. To try and find it. Yeah. Uh, I think I think emotions would be brought up if he did lose it. I think money would have been a big issue for him. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah, losing that substantial amount of money in whether it was drugs or anything anyone would get a bit angry <laughs> what, what, what's your understanding of the volume of drugs that he was bringing up i would say substantial amount of ecstasy and um half a uh, I, I wouldn't say but at least half an ounce of not at least half an ounce of mdma and what about ice uh i think they went they just had that for themselves so what? So when you say a substantial amount of ecstasy, I know you might not have a forensic knowledge of all this, but what do you reckon? Hundreds of tablets more? Yeah, I'd say at least a hundred. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yep. Yep. And he's lost that. Just seems weird that you could lose that amount of drugs. It takes up a bit of space, doesn't it? You just wonder how well, the hell that would happen. Well, I'm thinking, you know, after going back to the timeline, you know, it's been 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. Uh, about the 30th, so that's been three days of constant driving. And uh, constantly awake and under the influence, yeah? Yeah, yep. obviously anything happens. <laughs> yep, no, for sure, that's a, that's a good point. All right, keep keep talking us through the timeline. So we're at the we're at the 30th, the evening of the radiator hose is, is busted and they've got a new one. So they've just fixed the fixed the radiator hose and it was broken and had to steal another one. Yep. And, that, and he told me that he won't be too long and then he said, pedal to the metal. Yeah. <laughs> so he said... He was saying he just previously told me he was only five six hours away, so I just gathered that he he wasn't far off. But um, later, now that I've read back to it, back through my messages, that was the last message I had from Jaden. Yeah, wow. Okay. I called him. I called him constantly that night of the thirtieth, and then the morning of the thirty first of December, 
I thought it was just the lack of um, reception. Yeah, okay. So, I just, so, so was the phone morning. ringing out, Tim, or was it? The phone was ringing out. Okay. I was calling him off. Um, I was calling him off Messenger yep. and my and my text message off the phone, which now I don't have, which I'm in process of getting back my missed calls and stuff off. Gotcha. Um, my actually old phone. So this is um, the morning of New Year's Eve, is it? Yeah. So this was. So this went from the thirtieth to the morning of the thirty yep. first. Yep. And when I last heard him, I was calling him, and then on the thirty first of December, eleven fifty. 11.59, so say 12 o'clock, Lucas messaged me asking me if I'd ever been in contact with Jaden. So that was at midnight or at midday? Midday. Yep. So this is, uh, new, this is New Year's Eve day. Yep, yep. gotcha. And, and what did Lucas ask you? He'd asked if I'd been in contact with Jaden. And then I got back to him saying no. Obviously. Is this via text, mate, or did you have a conversation? This is via text. Yep, yep. Um, I'll just... Uh, I think it's easier if I just get the text up. Yeah, please do take me through that text exchange. It's quite interesting. So this is where I uh, get a little bit down on myself. Anyway, we'll get to that because you could always do things differently when you read back on yeah, it. Yeah, you know, very so. true. So so Sunday, 31st of December, 11.59 a.m. Hey, have you been in contact with Pano since last night? And I said, no. What happened? Have you heard anything? And... And I said, and then 2.42 p.m., hey, bro, still, have been, still haven't been able to find anyone who has seen or contacted him. I've checked heaps of service stations and banks that might, might even ask the police, but I'm not, sh- not yet sure because Penno doesn't have the best slate. Yeah. So this is where I'm, you know, you look back on it at all, and this is where I made a mistake, but I knew, I knew exactly what Jaden had on him. And I knew that he didn't have the best rec- uh, reputation with the police. And yep. Whatever you don't want to, you don't want to dob in your friend, yep. your brother, whatever. Um, I said, I said, are you alright? Don't go to the cops. So I think looking back on it all, I'd been drinking. It was New Year's Day, and I, you know, I'd been drinking. I just didn't know this. I didn't know the seriousness of what had just gone down. I, of course, I you didn't know. Where, How could you? I didn't, yeah. didn't know where. I didn't know where they'd been. Like, I, for all I knew, I thought they were up on the coast. And, um, you know, he wouldn't be that far away from people. Yeah. Um, so even if he did leave, you know, and obviously I've had fights with Jaden before and, you know, he just, I don't know, he always finds his way back. <laughs> he always finds his way back. But, um, and that's when he said back to me, Lucas said back to me, that's all good, but that's all good, bro. Yeah, I'm sweet. I'm just driving towards Cairns. I stayed around for another hour or so looking, but I couldn't get anything, and I didn't think the cops would, would be the best idea either. Yeah, okay. So, so again, what did Lucas say to you about the nature of the argument, just that it was about uh, they just had a blue over dr- well, drugs that I were think, lost and he was being accused of flogging them? Well, I think, yeah, I don't have messages of this. But yeah, gotcha. As far as what I remember, I was I was – Informed that I that they had a fight, and that he was he was pretty he was didn't know where to go, and that he was already on his way up. As that message just said, so I said to him that there's better you better you've got a you got a room up here. Which, looking back on it, if I knew the circumstances of um, circumstances of where they were, it would have changed everything. I'm pretty sure that Jaden had been driving a bit. 
uh, bit crazy down the street, yep. um, down a dirt road or something. This is this is just going by what Lucas had told me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, yeah, he'd been just driving down the street. Obviously, couldn't find couldn't find his stuff. Um, they've obviously pulled over, and there had been an altercation there, and that's where they. Part this of is life. where it starts. Uh, we don't know what happened there. So you, that's exactly it, it, what happened, or it's su- such an important window. But but just a sec. So, so, so you reckon that there was a physical altercation there? Is that what Lucas implied? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So there is a critical period here where people are asking why wasn't this reported to police earlier. So you're you're now well aware that Jaden hasn't made it up there for New Year's Eve, and uh, most likely isn't going to just materialise. Why wasn't this reported to cops earlier? So we're going from the 1st and then the 2nd of January and my, my memory yep. is a bit vague. Yeah, um, all good. I, I think, to be honest, I, I, I'm not proud of what, what happened and I don't, know, I don't know why I did things and I don't know why these things planned out. But the, the 2nd of January, I don't have any recollection of I must have been sleeping yep. off the last day of... Um, of the New Year's night, yep. but on the third of January, I had already had a planned um, trip to Fitzroy Islands. We all did. Um, we left there. We left to go to Fitzroy Island. Came back, and then later found out that Jaden had been the, the fight had actually taken place at Charters Towers. Right, uh, and that's when that's when I started to panic. Why? What, what, why, I, why did that make you panic? Oh, just to seeing how remote the yeah, area yep, was. Yep. Like, yeah, there was nothing. There's nothing inside, even off the Google Maps. You know, like, it's pretty ridiculous. And that's that's when I rang up Lucas and I had a go at him on the way home. Tell and, us about uh, that convo. I can't remember it word for word. Mate, yeah, no, of course, of course. No, no, I was just I was angry. I was angry for sure. And I remember my friend. He was with him, and he had a go at. He had a go at Lucas too and asked him what the hell was going on, but he he just maintained his story. And, yeah, he maintained that the fight happened and um, yeah, there wasn't really much more we could really go at Lucas. But then when I came home, the first thing I did was when I reported him missing, and that was on the third of January. And they couldn't um, they couldn't they couldn't do an official missing persons case until they had rang local. Um, local police or um, hospitals. Gotcha. Okay. So there was nothing particularly suspicious about Lucas's behaviour or state of mind. I mean, there was, a talk, there was talk that he'd washed his car not long after arriving. Do you know if any of that checks out? Yeah. we can. I've got stuff written down a bit further with that, but I think as when, when we – when I first initially hit him up, I think he was – he, he felt guilty as well. I, we don't know what of, but maybe just for the pure fact that Jaden is missing, you know. Like, mm, of course, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't say why, but he was. He definitely knew the um, severity of the situation. I think, um, and then I, I also I, but I never, I never wanted to judge him too much because I, in my head, I still thought Jaden was going to come home, and I didn't want to give my opinion to. I didn't want to give my. I didn't want to judge Lucas too much until I talked to Jade and yeah. find out exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, 
So again, Lucas's yeah. state of mind or any suspicious behaviour up there or nothing that you saw? Not really. He sold the rest of his drugs. and Yeah. Um, I think in the end, like, who leaves a person in the middle of nowhere and, like, drives off from him? And this is where I get caught up between him because I actually said, come up, <laughs> you know, but I had no idea the, how remote that was. Like, some, yeah. It does change it, doesn't it, somewhat, if you're leaving someone in a very uh, inhospitable, remote well, part of the country you know, as opposed to a, a, a settlement area? Guilty or not guilty, it's still still not a great mate. A true mate wouldn't have done that. Yeah. I went to the police station to report him missing but was told I can't till the 4th as they would do hospital checks. Yeah, okay. Local police. Um, from what I've been told, so this is from what I've been told from my mates while we were at Fitzroy Island, uh, Lucas didn't want to drive home. He didn't want to drive his car home, so I don't know where he got the idea from, but he he thought he would wash his car and then just try and sell it at a local car dealer, but but he couldn't. Is that right? Okay, so he wanted to sell the car. This is what I'm being told by my friends that work with him. Okay, that's interesting. Tim is clearly a young man wrestling with his burden of conscience. It would have been far easier for him to remain in the shadows rather than speak publicly on a podcast. We are grateful to him for having the courage to speak his truth. We should also caution listeners here from reading too much into Lucas's apparent desire to sell his car in cans. The car had obvious mechanical issues and perhaps Lucas simply didn't relish the prospect of a long trip home. It's also important to note that police have never identified Lucas as a suspect and by all reports, he's been a cooperative witness from the outset. We again reached out to Lucas to invite him to share his side of the story. As yet, he still hasn't taken us up on the offer. As we immerse deeper into the case, the precise timeline of events shortly before and after Jaden's disappearance is becoming clearer. Here's a quick rundown of the key moments as we've learned them. Just after midday on December 29th, 2017, Jaden and Lucas left Newcastle by car en route to Cairns. Close to 40 hours later, at 3.01am on December 31st, the pair was captured on CCTV footage at the Puma Roadhouse in Charters Towers. This is the last confirmed sighting of Jaden. The footage of Jaden dressed in a black singlet, shorts, thongs and a cap has sparked wild speculation within some true crime Facebook groups about whether he was sending a message for help in the footage. Some believe Jaden was deliberately positioning himself in front of the camera, stretching and adjusting his cap as a coded cry for help. Puma Roadhouse employees from the night have previously told the missing files that Jaden and Lucas had tense words whilst inside the business. Two and a half hours later, at around 5.30am, Lucas's maroon Nissan Pulsar was captured, still in Charters Towers, this time driving past the police station. In her statement to police, 
Rachel Penno claims the footage shows two people in the car. If that's true, then at some point after 5.30am on December 31st, Jaden and Lucas had an altercation, most likely over missing drugs. Jaden's cousin Tim told us earlier that Jaden was accusing Lucas of stealing his stash, and the dispute may have escalated to become physical. Lucas has told police and Jaden's friends that the pair had an argument and Jaden simply stormed off into nearby bushland. At about 10.30am the same day, a reportedly shirtless and red-faced Lucas drove into the driveway of Sue and Lionel Murphy, who own a property on Stockroot Road on the outskirts of Charters Towers. The Missing Files has spoken with Lionel Murphy about the interaction. Mr Murphy told us Lucas had requested a drink of water, and when Mr Murphy asked him why he was in the area, he said he was looking for a friend's sister's nearby property. Mr Murphy is one of a number of witnesses to appear at next week's coronial inquest. At 11.46am, Lucas's car was captured on CCTV camera on the road out of Charters Towers. If he had driven directly to Cairns, he would have arrived at about 6pm that same day. Instead, Lucas arrived at closer to 10pm, according to the crew in Cairns. Again, we tried to contact Lucas to help clarify the discrepancy in the timeline and why he told Lionel Murphy he was searching for a property rather than for Jaden. In fairness to Lucas, he had already stated in a text exchange with Jaden's cousin Tim that he was anxious about Jaden's reputation with police, which could explain why he wasn't forthcoming about his true motives for the search. And his delay in arriving to Cairns could have been influenced by any number of factors, including a sleep stop or even a search in other areas for Jaden. One of the quiet heroes of this case is Jaden's auntie Rel Harwood, a former General Duties cop who has pursued justice for her nephew with a single-minded determination. In July 2019, Rel met with her local federal MP, Emma McBride, to petition for a financial reward to be posted for information leading to a conviction in Jaden's case. The Missing Files investigative journalist, Dan Johns, spoke with Rel about her frustration at the reward being rejected and her hopes for the upcoming inquest. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to give up on it. Um, it. At this stage, all the rewards from some persons that are out there, up around the millions of dollars, something like six percent of rewards are claimed in Australia. So okay. it's a, a very small risk for the the government yes, on these, yep. you know, sixteen hundred long-term missing persons in Australia. Um, so. I, I had to sit back and go, yes, I'm annoyed, um, but what's the reason behind it? Um, were they, you know, three quarters of the way through preparing a, a brief for the coroner and wanted to wait for that, um, covering their own, yep. you know, uh, bases? I'm not quite sure. Um, but certainly after the inquest, I'll be petitioning for that again. The next voice you will hear is an actress reading out the main parts of the letter from Rel to her federal MP, Emma McBride. Dear Madam Attorney-General, I'm contacting your office after consultation with my local member, Emma McBride, 
regarding my nephew, who is currently a missing person in Queensland. On the 29th of December, 2017, 22-year-old Jaden Penno-Thompson and associate Lucas Tattersall left Newcastle, headed to Cairns in Queensland for a New Year's Eve party. It is now believed that they were transporting drugs in the vehicle, planning to supply at the New Year's Eve party. For reasons which are unclear, Jaden and Lucas detoured through remote Charters Towers, which is some four hours from Cairns and not en route from Newcastle. Between 3am and 5am on the 31st of December 2017, Jaden was photographed inside the Puma Roadhouse on the Flinders Highway, Charters Towers. These are his last known whereabouts. Jaden's family would like to request that the Queensland Attorney General's office seriously consider offering a financial reward for information leading to Jaden's whereabouts or to the arrest of the persons involved in his disappearance. Further to this, REL officially received a response from Queensland Police, who were investigating the matter. We have an actor reading from the letter signed by Acting Detective Senior Sergeant Dario Goriup on behalf of Queensland Police. Mr REL Harwood, our office has recently received correspondence in relation to a request to the Office of the Attorney-General in relation to the disappearance of your nephew, Jaden Penno Thompson, authored by yourself. I've spoken to the officer currently investigating the matter, Detective Sergeant Peter Edwards of Charters Towers CIB, who has advised that at this time a report of the matter is being prepared for consideration of the coroner. The option of a reward was considered by Detective Sergeant Peter Edwards, however determined to not be an appropriate technique at this stage of the investigation. I did notice as I was researching this that there was a, a chap who, um, tragically, his body was found in 2019 um, in a similar area that, in central Queensland. That Dallas Pike? No, this is Jason Guys. I just, I just Googled it and I got this media release. Police had put up a $250,000 reward. And in the media release, I thought it was interesting, just the strength of their words, which might resonate with you and, you and Rach. It said, the community expects these cowardly acts to be investigated fully and those offenders responsible to be brought to justice no matter how long it takes. And this is acting D Detective Inspector Mark Mooney. He said, Jason's family and friends deserve to know what happened to their son, brother and friend. I mean, how do you respond to that? And why is that different from Jaden's situation? I don't see it. Is it any different to Jane's situation? Uh, yeah. I, I don't think it matters what led up to it. I, I don't think it matters what situation was. He's gone. Um, you know, so we, we do. We all need to know. And it, it's, it's upsetting that they're putting up rewards for similar cases. You know, part, part of me sat back and went, well, maybe it's, you know, not really done until it's sort of a bit older, five years or seven years. But it seems not to be the case. Again, our actor reads out the official response from the at-time Minister for Home Affairs, Peter Dutton. Dear Emma, thank you for your correspondence of 17 July 2019 on behalf of your constituent who holds concerns for her missing nephew. I have sought advice from my department and portfolio agencies, including the Australian Federal Police and the Australian Criminal Intelligence Commission on this matter. Every missing person case is unique, and despite our best efforts, some cases may go unresolved for long periods of time. I acknowledge that this is a distressing time for families and friends. I can assure you that the Home Affairs portfolio works collaboratively with our Commonwealth and State and Territory partners to try and get the best outcomes in these situations. With regards to your request for a reward, 
the relevant state or territory is responsible for rewards for information in relation to missing persons. Thank you for bringing your constituents' concerns to my attention. I wish her all the best in locating her nephew. Yours sincerely, Peter Dutton. And we've got an inquest coming up. I know you need to be careful. But are you critical of police at this stage or are you in a wait-and-see situation here? Um, I'm partly critical of police. Um, However, I don't have all the information at this stage. So I would like to wait and see. However, there there does appear to be things that have been overlooked and and not looked into. I, I don't have a problem saying that. That appears to be the case. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll be interested to to see what comes out at the inquest, and yeah, love to comment on that further after of that. Of course, of course. Are you? Are, yeah. are you? Have you been called as a witness? No, okay. I have not. But are you travelling so, up? Are you travelling up to Cairns? I am. Yep. So I'll be in there for the the whole inquest, which is good because if I'm called as a witness, then you can't go into court until you've given your evidence. Gotcha. Yeah, I've gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So, How are you feeling about it, Ro? Uh, I'm looking forward to it, if that sounds bad, but no, no, no. it's sort of, it's sort of the end result of a combination of, of three years of petitioning. So, so I'm looking forward, I'm looking forward to it all coming out, or as much as it can. Next week's coronial inquest into Jaden's disappearance marks the first time the police brief of evidence will be publicly revealed. A brief of evidence is a file containing the details of a police investigation, including things like witness statements and physical evidence. Jaden's supporters are pinning their hopes on the brief containing a smoking gun, an as yet undisclosed piece of evidence that might blow the case wide open. Queensland Police have refused to speak with the missing files while the inquest is pending, but their public statements in the past hardly inspire confidence they're on the verge of a breakthrough. In conversations with witnesses and media outlets, police have consistently said their belief is that Jaden simply wandered off after a fight with Lucas and perished in bushland. This despite a two-week wide-scale search after Jaden disappeared, which turned up not a skerrick of evidence indicating Jay had been in nearby bushland. Experts have said it is highly unusual for a dead person's body not to be located after exposure to the elements or suicide. We know Jaden was in over his head in drug debt. That's not in question. We know he indicated to multiple sources that his safety was under threat. We know he had an altercation, possibly now a violent one, with his travelling companion over missing drugs whilst both parties were likely heavily under the influence of drugs themselves. Former Detective Superintendent and Missing Files cast member Michael Rowan has headed up dozens of high-profile investigations, including the murder of Leeton schoolteacher Stephanie Scott and the 2013 dig for the body of slain Griffith anti-drugs crusader Donald McKay. He told me that while we should reserve judgement until after the inquest, detectives often fell into the trap of confirmation bias when investigating cases such as Jaden's. I think, uh, and I have spoken about confirmation bias, and I think it's, it's, it's one of the biggest problems with uh, investigations of all types. You have to come into everything with an open mind until such times as 
uh, evidence one way or another uh, precludes a particular view. And I think to actually focus your inquiry specific, specifically towards a predetermined outcome, if you do that, that is so dangerous. What exactly would make, a in an active investigation, what would be the disadvantage of offering a reward where either more information could come forward and, and lead to further leads in the case? I mean, what exactly is at risk? Or nothing happens and therefore the reward isn't paid, so there's there's no drama there. Why, why would uh, police investigators not just automatically say, this has now gone on for 12 months as it had in the case when this request was put in, we haven't got any leads, and yet they say, this is not an avenue that we think is worthy of going down? I, I suspect the, the reason would be is the police have a view about what has taken place. Maybe their decision has been taken that um, well, offering a reward is not going to further the uh, investigation because we believe um, that he has perished. Tell us a little bit about what is to be expected of this coronial inquest. Who asks the question? Is it the coroner alone or what, what's the whole process and, and how are the witnesses treated as they're, as they're brought to the stand? So uh, the, the, there would have been a lot of background work that would have been done between the officer in charge of the inquiry. Um, and the coroner. And in this case, there may be um, a sergeant who is assisting the coroner and may ask questions of witnesses and so forth, but the coroner can actually ask questions themselves, and quite often they do. Uh, ultimately, it is their name that goes on uh, inquest documents, and they, they are the ones who make recommendations. The coroner, what the coroner must do is determine a, whether a person has died, and then looking at the manner and circumstances uh, of that death. Now, of course, this this case is unusual in the respect that Jaden, uh, his body has never been found. So in terms of actually coming up with the uh, actual cause of death, in some respects, uh, that's difficult because there's obviously been no uh, post-mortem being undertaken, to, which would determine the actual cause of death. Um and at this stage, the coroner will have to come to a view of whether they consider that Jaden has actually died. What are some of the conclusions that we could be led to based on these different scenarios that the coroner has to take into account? Well, the coroner could make uh, a number of uh, assertions. He, could, um, he or she could uh, come up with uh, this, this involvement of a person or persons who are either known to the coroner or... Uh, persons who are unknown to the coroner. Uh, the coroner might come up with uh, a finding of misadventure, uh, might come up with a finding of um, that he may have indeed perished. Now, if there are things that come out of the inquest that cause the coroner to um, say, well, no, I am not satisfied with the investigation as it's uh, been conducted by the Queensland Police Authorities at this point, and I think that certain other areas should or need to be explored, well, the coroner can make those directions that that's what to take, what's to take place. It may also occur that the coroner, at the conclusion of the inquest, is, is not satisfied um, or has insufficient evidence to actually make a, uh, a finding in terms of the manner and cause uh, of Jaden's disappearance and, and, and if, if uh, he or she believes that he has died and, and, and he's now deceased, the, they can actually leave it as uh, an open finding. And that does occur 
um, with deaths from time to time in, in all jurisdictions across Australia where the evidence at this particular moment in time is, is insufficient for the coroner to make a definitive finding. And if that's the case, to a large degree, what they can do is they can refer it back to uh, the police for further inquiries or they can refer it to another avenue. Does it then become a murder investigation if the coroner sees it that way? If the coroner believes that there's uh, suspicious circumstances and, and potentially foul play, uh, they may well. Um, in New South Wales, for example, there is an unsolved homicide squad. And so what, what takes place is if a matter goes through uh, a process of an inquest uh, and the coroner is not ultimately satisfied, the coroner can make a direction that the, the investigation is to be forwarded to the unsolved homicide team for further follow-up and inquiry. So that, that sounds to me that after this coronial inquest, there are three potential outcomes. One is that it's case closed because the coroner comes to the finding that either misadventure or, uh, or possibly suicide. And then that leads us to the two other scenarios that may play out if it's not a, a closed case after this um, procedure. And that is that it, it's, it's left open and then referred back to the Queensland police for potential further investigation, or it goes um, down the route of this is foul play, something suspicious has occurred here and it is handed over to the um, active homicide squad. Is, is, and that's a, that's a different department to the Queensland police. It would be a uh, it would be a department within the Queensland Police uh, Service, but not the same so, people investigating it. No, no, that, that's correct. That's correct. It would be a you know the the investigation would be transferred. It would be reviewed by the uh, homicide squad. They would probably do a fresh review of the the investigation as it sat at that point uh, and determine whether there were things that they considered uh, may have been missed. Uh, or that there is opportunity to explore other aspects that may, for whatever reason, not have been explored prior. Loved ones left behind, like Jaden's cousin Tim, are comforted by their memories of the real Jaden, but say those memories will be clouded by grief until some concrete answers emerge. I wanted to get a couple of more things from you, Tim, because we are really aware here that in cases like this, we're only looking at one aspect of Jaden's life. And it's obviously a, a, a big contributing factor to everything that happened, and that was his drug use. But everyone we speak to who was close to Jaden say there was a lot more to him as a bloke, as a friend, as a son, as a human being. Can you explain that just for the sake of the audience understanding Jaden a bit better? Can you, can you run us through what sort of fella he was? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, like I wouldn't want to say that he didn't use drugs. I wouldn't, I'd like to say that like it was recreational and, it, you know, he still worked a day-to-day life. He mm. still was a normal person. Everyone makes mistakes. Um, if you looked into my life, Jesus, well, I wouldn't be perfect, but mm. given given the chances, you know, I can, I've made something and it's just sad that he's not here to say his side of the story or mm. back him up or prove us all wrong, you know. Um he was a good person. He would do anything for me, honestly. He would pick me up from whenever I wanted to, you know. He would always be there if I was in a fight. He loved me. Every time he dropped me off, he would say, I love you, brother. Yeah, wow. Breaks my heart. Um, I think people have just got to realise that, like, he's a, nor- he's a normal person. And, uh, you know, whatever, just because there's drugs involved doesn't mean that, He's a he's a low lifer. I'd hate to say, it, but he's not a junkie. You know, he's he's a normal person. Yeah. That just it was 
there's more to the story and he was going through a bit of a hard time but you know he he, he was never a dull budger he always worked he loved to work i know i know i heard a bit from the previous one rachel was always saying he worked two jobs as a kid way mm. before i never worked two jobs like that he he always paid his way he was always a hard worker and he was proud of to do it. he was proud he was proud to be a worker you know mm-hmm. he was proud um, it's a good point, Tim, and I, and I think if we were all judged by the stupidest things we'd done in our life, we'd probably all be in jail. You know, there's there's so much more to a person than um, than than that label or that thing that they fall back on to make to smooth things over a bit. So, to, to, but but with the drugs, what you say that he had, he obviously had issues with them, but and, and you talked about those messages earlier. How could you judge how? much they were affecting his life or how much they were uh, um, impacting on his decisions? How deeply was he in the grip of ICE in particular? I think it was, you know, he didn't do it, he didn't do it all the time, but when, when he did, he couldn't make judgments clearly. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't see the, he couldn't see the big picture, you know, as much as, you know, he just needed, he just needed help, you know, he just, he just needed someone there to be helped. And, um, I think that's what I know. I've got to live for because I, I saw him, he he was reaching out to me, and you know it's your typical thing. You know when you read back on it, you could have done this, or could have done that, but he was reaching out. Um, it didn't mean that he was he was going to be it, that was going to be him for the rest of his life. He just he was just going through a bad patch. He just needed to um, yeah, he just needed some help. But just, it, it, it sounds to me like. You're a great mate, and you did everything you could to help him. Um, yeah, we've been thick and thin. Yeah. We've been through thick and thin, and I just hope that, like, you know, people just don't rule off this case as just a, just as another, you know, you know like hopeless, helpless drug addict. You yeah. know, he was a family member, he was a brother, he was a cousin, he was a he was a grandson, he was everything. You know, he was he was loved, and like anyone that knows him, and I know it's been said in the podcast before, but it's true. Like anyone that was there, he would do anything for him. Yeah. The reason he was taking those drugs up there was for us, so because yeah. we couldn't get him on the plane. And it sounds really bad, but we're all young. We're all young. We just didn't. We're just doing stupid stuff. But yeah, I know. I know for a fact. Given given the chance, he would have done. He would have done well. Beautifully said, mate. Beautifully said, and I, I appreciate your honesty. And, and th- this can't have been easy for you personally. Can, can you put into words the impact being tied up with this and being the person that brought him up to Cairns and um, what's what's it done to you personally? Um, you know, it's... You know, like, I, 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 you could say that I've just tried to suppress it and stuff like that. Yeah. But I've never forgotten about him. I never... Just because I don't post everything all the time, like... He's always on my mind. Yeah. Um, he's made me want to do better in my life. Like, you know, hope that he comes home. But um, if if he doesn't, you know, I won't be a wasted life. Yeah. yeah. Won't be. You know, I'll do. I'll do what I can to make him proud. Because he was always. Oh, sorry. Uh, good on you, mate. You, you, you're speaking from the heart. That's a good thing. You know, he was always he was always happy with what I did. He was always um. He was never jealous, you know. Like mm. he was always proud. Like you know, I used to travel. Used to always like dream of traveling, and he used to always sit up there. Like he was a person that I could always call. Yeah, 
Uh, well, well, well said. And I feel like I've got a better understanding of him now. I'm sure others will too. Mate, the, the last question in, in many ways is the hardest question here because yeah. none of us really yeah. know. And that's from your vantage point, yeah. what do you think's happened here? What do you think's happened with Jaden? Well, the hardest thing is that we don't have proof of everything. And as, you know, if, if Lucas has got more to say, I hope he does say it. There's, I know, I know he. I know, I know as much as me trying to go back through this. We all weren't in the right state of mind, but if you got more things to say, like say it. Um, you know whether there was when you look back on the messages that he was saying to me that there was there was he wanted to get away and all that. You know you can't deny that there was there could have been something there, but then you also can't deny that what Lucas is saying is true and and that he did leave and then he did have. He did have um, things on him. He did have, like, drugs on him, and he was walking the streets, and who knows who he would have bumped into there. Yeah. So, okay, okay. So so I guess, do you think that he may have been murdered by someone he didn't know, potentially? I think anything's possible. Okay. I think, yes. I think, yeah. But this this is this is an exercise in trying to look at the most plausible explanation. So, do you think that he's taken his own life? You know, um, my mum and my mum and I always talk about that. That um, that could also be a possibility as well. Um, I like to just giving the state of mind of what we what we can think Jaden was in. I just think anything's possible, yeah, okay. and it's, it's the saddest thing that we just we just don't know. And it's I, the I hardest part, it, isn't it? That just living with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's horrible. Um, thanks, know. man. Yep. No, that's good. I just, uh, I just wish, you know, like if someone was out there that did know anything, like even if you didn't, even if you, even if you didn't want to dub yourself in, just just give us a bit, bit of insight of what happened. You know, yeah. like just just tell us where he is, so we can bring him home. Today, the witness list for the coronial inquest was finalised and Lucas Tattersall will be required to take the stand to recall the final moments before his friend's disappearance. The coronial inquest into Jaden's disappearance is set to run from Tuesday, May 4th to Thursday, May 6th at the Coroner's Court of Queensland in Cairns. Witnesses will be called to give evidence on the first two days whilst the third day is reserved for spoken submissions from both parties. The Missing Files has obtained a copy of the witness list, but the coroner has requested we not divulge all the names of those called. We can say this. Jaden's mum, Rachel, is set down to give evidence first, with two hours allotted on the opening morning. Three police officers involved in the investigation are expected to testify. Two people from Charters Towers will give evidence whilst Lucas is expected to be the last person to speak. As listeners to the Missing Files podcast will know, this is a highly complex case with many unanswered questions. Some of Jaden's supporters are rightly concerned that three days is a woefully inadequate amount of time to trawl through such a detailed matter. How Rachel, who has as forensic a knowledge of this case as anyone, could be expected to even outline a fraction of what she knows in just two hours, could be seen as perversion of justice in itself. 
It's been more than 1,200 days since Jaden's loved ones have seen him. More than 1,200 days in emotional purgatory, where torment and uncertainty invade both their waking and sleeping hours. No human being is designed to endure this. Short of a confession or a damning piece of evidence, this is their best and possibly last chance at getting answers. I spoke with Rachel about how she was feeling about the looming inquest. A lot of the listeners um, understand that you're going through the coronial inquest process at the moment and and because of that you haven't been on social media as much as you'd like to be because you've got to be very careful and we should point out to listeners as well that um, there are really strict guidelines on what you can and can't say uh, one of the things that you can't say anything about is the brief itself and so we're going to be yes. careful that we don't discuss that but they do want to know that you're doing okay and that it at least is feeling like it's either a step in the right direction or that there's a little bit more control over the situation than what you've had over the last three years is that a fair statement how do you how do you feel at the moment knowing that the, the date's looming um very nervous but i'm um well at least at least i know that i'm going to get the information out there um being called as a witness so um everything i've gathered so i'll just make sure i get it all out um in the short time that i've got to do it but um i'm 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 positive that with what I've got anyway, that that the judge and whatnot will, you know, create a bit of doubt anyway in their minds that because, and I do know, you know, the police and a lot of people are thinking he's possibly ran off and just, um, well, some have said suicided, some have said um, died by, well, you know, the elements or whatever. Or, um, yeah, I, um, at least I know that everything that I've gathered is going to get out there now instead of... Um, been hit and miss, at least I can put it all on the table. So to create a bit of doubt anyway in the judge's mind. Very few people, and I think that this is a good thing that not many people have to go through what you're going through, but not many people understand what the process is like. What what has it been like for you? Um, you've had to engage a solicitor. You've had to talk to the coroner's office on, on, a, on a constant basis. What's the what's the process been like? Have you been frustrated by any of it, or has it been smooth? Have they made it comfortable for you? How have you felt about that? Oh, they've 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 been really wonderful. Um, yeah, they've they've helped me a lot. They've they've it's hard to explain. Yeah, I'm very frustrated at some things, but yep. um, that's to be expected. But um, no, they've been they've been really good, and anything I need, they just said, you know always open to contact us with anything so um there's not much else really i can say about that except for that um i don't really know i don't really know i just i'm just so nervous and i'm scared i'm up and down um i'm <sighs> people are worried about the fact that you are going through and and even though you have got close friends and some relatives that are that are side by side with you. They are worried about your mental state, though, and and the fact that you've got such a large amount to carry on your shoulders. Uh, is there any reassuring words that you can give to them to say that um, it is a lot that you you're coping okay, or 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 do you feel that you sometimes you are losing it? I mean, where are you from a a mental state during all of this? 
Well, surprisingly, I'm actually <laughs> coping a lot better than I thought um, I would. And, um, you know, I had, I had a bit of a um, breakdown last week, um, especially when I missed a week. I got a message from mum, it's only um, three weeks Monday, and I didn't realise I'd missed a week. And oh. so I had, a, I had a massive meltdown and then pulled it together by that afternoon and got back into what i got to do and just keep going. Um, mentally, yeah, I'm all over the shop, but um, that's to be expected. But um, And emotionally, but I, I somehow I just keep going and I keep just focusing on the main thing, which yep. is um, getting the truth out there and, um, you know, and, and finding Jay. Yeah. Or finding what happened to him. Sorry. No, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, look, you've got a huge support base on Facebook and, um, and and social media and online and all these forums and everything. People that really genuinely have gotten to know you since this happened and, and care about you. Have you got any, um, because you're not on Facebook as much as what you were due to the fact that you don't want to, you know, accidentally divulge anything or or, uh, or 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 maybe say something that you regret. Is there a message that you'd like for them? Because they all do listen to the podcast. What would you like to say to them at the moment, um, knowing that after the after the coronial inquest, there might be completely new directions that we go in? What would you like to um, say to them now? Well. Well, firstly, I'd like to just thank everybody for um, being big support and always, you know, offering to anything to help me, um, to be there for me. Um, I suppose if it wasn't for all the support, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. And, uh, um, oh, sorry, I'm having no, an emotional... It's okay, I know, and it is emotional, and look... Don't don't be afraid to be emotional because the circumstances that you're in are emotional. They're 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 gut wrenchingly um, horrible, and nobody nobody would want to be in your shoes, Rachel. So everyone understands that that it is emotional. Um, look, let's... some days I have good days, other days I have bad. Today's not a good day. No, but, you know, um, it's just the way it's been for three years. I think the yeah. main thing is though that that what you've told them is that um, thanks for the support and you are okay yeah. and you are coping with it at the moment and, and you, yeah. you do have ups and downs, but um, but you're okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I had a friend staying with me, so... That's um, good, that's reassuring to know. That's, that, you know, that you have got, and you've got your mother, of course, and you're looking after her, um, but you have got people around you that, that, are, that are helping you through the process. And I think, I think yeah. that the, the idea of... Um, Rachel being home home alone trying to battle all of this on her own is, is worrying for some people so it's nice to know that you've got someone staying with you and you've got your mother not too far away Yeah, um, mum's health has gone downhill and she can't come to the inqu inquest with me so you know it's um, Who are you taking anyway, to the I'm, inquest with you? No one You're just going up there by yourself now? Yeah I'm just going to um, just got to focus on on because I'll be meeting with the um, solicitor and I'll be meeting um, Jay's Arnie and other two Arnies. They're going to be up there, so um, I'll have support up there anyway. And they're they're part of the inquest. They're not witnesses, but they're you know they're they're there to. Um, well, Tim's mum's going to be there, so so it's family and and she has to be there for her son and. Um, 
Oh, and for Jay. But um, and Jay's other Arnie Rel. She'll be there, so you know I'll be right. I just got to focus on making sure I've that because we've only just got a barrister on board, so I've got to make sure that whenever they're questioning people, I've got to make sure they get the right questions out. You know, everything because everything, um, a lot of the case they don't really know. It's me yes. that knows the case, and so I've got to make sure nothing's missed. Yep. Um, throughout the whole thing, so each night I'll just be preparing, going through everything I've got, and make sure that nothing gets missed and that everything gets out. Thank you for listening to The Missing Files. A big thank you also to our actors in residence, Marlo and Matt Olson. We also thank our guests, Tim, Rel and Rachel. Our next episode will be published after information is made public following the coronial inquest. I'm Adam Drummond. The number for contacting authorities if you have information that could be helpful to an active investigation is Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000. More information about our episodes and cases covered can be located on our website, missingfiles.com.au and our social media channels. The Missing Files podcast is independently produced by Adam Drummond and WaggaWagga.tv in collaboration with editor Matt Olson, investigative journalist Daniel Johns and former New South Wales Police Commander and Detective Superintendent Michael Rowan. No monies, sponsorship or income is generated through The Missing Files podcast and it is produced in a completely voluntary basis by all contributors.